This morning, as we uh, continue uh, in the study of John in this uh, sermon series called Come and See, um, I am I, I, I'm torn a little bit. Um, what, what we have decided to do is to not go through everything verse by verse and cover everything in order, uh, but rather we encourage you to follow along. We have a reading plan. If you go to uh, hcclinuxville.ca slash John, you can see that reading plan, and you can see that we have some uh, discussion questions for you individually, for you as a uh, family, for you uh, to ponder in your life groups or uh, in, in whatever context that it may be helpful for you, uh, we, we uh, offer that to you, um, and we invite you to follow along as we go. The trouble with occasionally skipping over some parts is that for, uh, for the preacher or for whomever is responsible for choosing which passage we go through, there may be the temptation to go, ooh, that one's, that one's tough, or that's uncomfortable, or ooh, I'd have to say some hard things that Jesus says, and I want to skip over that part. And I, I don't want to do that. Um, I, I have always felt uh, that sometimes, uh, you know, people can skirt around difficult things, and I I didn't want that to be the case, and I, I went back and forth on what we were going to look at today, um, and I decided, you know what, I do want to do the very next story that we find, picking up right after uh, where we left off last week. Um, and I, for various reasons, because I, I think it ties well some of the parts that we have already skipped over and highlights themes that come out through all of John, and we're going to be jumping around a lot. Um, but I, I really want to look at today um, kind of two big key words, to a lesser extent this word receive, but also this, um, this bigger word believe, and kind of reflect on that and what that means in its role. And so I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from verses 43 to the end of the chapter in verse 54. John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he, would, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew 
that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would today move miraculously. And I do not use that word lightly. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to move in us, to teach us, to illuminate your word to us, to speak through me that these would not be my words, but God, that they would be true and faithful to your word, that you would take this poor, lisping, stammering tongue and that you would use it to bless others, that you would use it to draw us closer to you, that you would use it to increase our faith, that we might believe and know that your son Jesus is the promised Messiah. We pray it all for your glory and that his name would be lifted high. Amen. This morning, the big idea that I want to get across, and I went back and forth a lot on on the wording of this, but the thing that I really want to hone in on this morning is that believing in miracles is good, but believing in God's word is better. Believing in God's word is better. And I want to just kind of walk through this passage and kind of show you why I think that this is kind of where God is leading us in this story, in this interaction with Jesus himself. And if you look at even the first three verses of this passage from 43 to 45, you see this idea reiterated that Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his hometown. This is something that is repeated a lot in scripture. In fact, all four gospel writers testify that Jesus said this. He expressed this sentiment in Matthew, and they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor in his own hometown and in his own household. Mark, almost verbatim, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And Luke, in chapter 4, says, and he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So it's anytime you see across all four Gospels, Jesus said this, you can really hone in on that and say, okay, so there's something here. There is something that the text is meaning to emphasize in the way that Jesus talks about this. But immediately, we see this sense of, okay, we're being told this, that Jesus is not accepted in his own hometown, but that's where he's going. He's going to this region of Galilee, where Nazareth is, very close to where he grew up, where people know him, where he has connections and deep roots, and we're told, yes, he's not going to be accepted. And then the very next thing that we see in verse 45 is that they accept him. Or maybe in verse 45, your, your version says received him or welcomed him. And so immediately there's this kind of disconnect between, well, which is it? Are they receiving him? Are they not receiving him? Are they welcoming him? Uh, and it's important to note this, this word that is used here that says welcomed or maybe it says received 
uh, in your version, is, is a unique word to John. It is the only time in the entire gospel that he uses this word. And in fact, elsewhere where he talks about Jesus being received, it's a different word. If you think back to the, early, the, the, the first week that we started the study and the first week that we're reading through John, we read, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so there's this idea of what does it mean to receive Jesus? What does it mean that we are accepting of Jesus? And here there's this kind of tension of, yeah, he'd never be accepted by these people, but oh, okay, so they're welcoming him. And what's the difference? What does this mean? Well, I think the key is in the text in verse 45, where they are welcoming him because of the signs and wonders that he has performed. They're welcoming him because they have heard all about the amazing and miraculous things that he has been doing. And this welcoming is more of a gesture of hospitality. Like, sure, we'd love some of that. And the Galileans' perception of Jesus was as this healer and worker of signs, not as the Son of God, not as the Christ or the Messiah. And their idea of welcoming Jesus is a little different. And in fact, the very next verse in verse 46 says, He came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. I think that little distinction, that little, uh, you know, modifier there is not because we have forgotten. It's not because we can't, you know, just flip the page and go, Cana, where have I heard that? Oh yeah, he was just there, right? John, the author, is intending to tie this interaction with his first miracle that happened in this same place, that happened as a sign, a sort of inauguration of him as the Son of God. And he is very deliberately tying this place and wanting you to have in your mind the same thing that these Galileans in Cana had in their mind. This is Jesus, the guy that performs miracles. And then we have this royal official who comes. He has heard about Jesus, and he wants to come, and he travels some 20, 25 kilometers from Capernaum to Cana, probably a multiple-day trip, where he, he comes to see Jesus. And first, we have to ask who this guy is. Who is this official? We're not given a lot of details, but we're given enough to get kind of a good idea of who this is. Based on the fact that he is called an official and that he is coming from Capernaum, and that he is at least wealthy or important enough to have servants or bond servants, maybe your text says, if you jump down to verse 51, we, we can probably assume this is a guy who's either a high-ranking military official or maybe an administrative official uh, within the house of Herod Antipas, who was the, the tetrarch for Galilee at this time. And almost certainly, this guy is a Gentile. And, and what happens here is we have this sort of three-story arc. If you read in the text last week, following along with our plan, you would have read about Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, a Pharisee in Jerusalem, 
And then we have his interaction with this woman at the well in Samaria. And then we have this interaction with a Gentile high-ranking official. It's very, very diverse. In all of the interactions, there is a common theme, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you can start to see the sort of wide kingdom that Jesus is ushering in and inviting people into between a Jewish Pharisee and a Samaritan woman and a Gentile secular official. And for all of these people, he has a common invitation. And so when we get to verse 48, Jesus says to him, after he says, come, my son is sick. I want you to come and heal him. Jesus responds in kind of a strange way. (laughs) I read this and I go, what? So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And there's two things that I want to kind of observe in this verse and point out. And the first is that the word you here is plural. Greek, like French and unlike English, gives us this distinction between plural you and singular you. And so as you read this in English, you might not you know, realize that it says, unless you, you all, see signs. And so suddenly you're going, okay, hang on. He said to him, but he's not just talking to him. He's talking to everyone. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I often turn and say things to my wife that I really want my boys to hear. Uh, I don't know if you've done this before. Where I'm talking to you, but I know there's an audience here. And really what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And even that phraseology, and some versions I think say unless you people, it sounds really like contention, unless you people. And that's the second part, because this kind of is the tone that Jesus is using. This, is, this kind of is... Uh, a rebuke. It kind of is a, a, a tone of exasperation where Jesus says, oh, unless you people see signs and wonders. You know, you, all you want is signs and miracles and wonders. And if, unless you see them, you won't believe. And yet, the man is not dissuaded. But what he says is, believe. He, he hones in on belief. That's not what the man asks for. He says, would you come and heal my son? And what Jesus is saying is, what is at the heart of this is belief. You need to believe. And there's kind of an interesting, you know, difference in in belief. And there's layers of belief here. And belief becomes this key word in John. In fact, all the way at the end of John, we have this kind of purpose statement and summary of the whole book where John says, listen, this is not comprehensive. Jesus did tons of things, and I have not told you about them all, but I have told you about some, and here's why. And this is what he says at the very end. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is a running theme through John. He is writing all of these things in order to compel you to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And in fact, this is kind of 
at the heart of this series of stories that we see, even some that we have skipped over. At the very end, after he has uh, done this miracle in Cana, we see this verse where it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Which is interesting. And we also see this kind of layer of belief there where, okay, they believe in him when they see the signs. And yet Jesus is kind of almost lamenting in this rebuking tone to say, you won't believe unless you see these signs. And here again, there's this layered sense of belief. And I think that there is a difference between coming and experiencing Jesus on his terms and coming and discovering who he is and setting aside our assumptions and expectations and accepting Jesus' invitation to come and see and putting this expectation on Jesus and coming and saying, listen, unless I see signs and wonders, unless I see miraculous works done, then I won't believe. Only then, once I see the good stuff, am I going to believe in you. And so, even now, right at the very beginning, I want to put up verse 112 up again, where Jesus says, but to all who did receive him, and he even defines what that means. Here's what I mean by receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. And all of the stories that we see in between there and where we've read today in chapter 4, we see this central invitation of belief. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, his initial question is about the signs and wonders. He's coming to him and saying, okay, listen, all of this stuff that you're doing, all of the miraculous things, all of the signs and wonders and miracles and prophecies fulfilled, that's, there's got to be something to that. We have to know that you're somebody special. Tell me about that. And yet, what Jesus talks to him about is about belief. In fact, one of the most quotable verses in the Bible is contained in this interaction with uh, Nicodemus, where he says, for whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And even the next verse about those who believe in him shall not be condemned, but those who don't believe in him already stand condemned. And this is the principal issue. It's almost like Jesus is redirecting Nicodemus's focus from the signs and wonders to believing in him, not just the things that he is doing, but the things that he is saying. Because believing in miracles is good, but believing in God's word is better. And even as we look at verse 4, or chapter 4, and the story that we read last week of the woman at the well in Samaria, and we see her influence in the whole community. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Jesus is inviting people to believe because the essence of faith is to believe in what Jesus said. The essence of faith is trusting that he is who he says he is, 
miracles, signs, wonders, fulfilled prophecies, it plays a role in that. But it boils down to trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. Believing in miracles is good, but believing in God's word is better. And so this man, upon hearing this sort of rebuke of sorts, you people won't, won't believe unless you see signs and wonders, He's, he is not dissuaded. He just repeats, almost verbatim, the same request. We see it in verse 47 and in 49. Look, my son is sick. Please just come. And Jesus' response is strange. What Jesus says to him is, go, your son will live. Jesus does not say yes to the man's request. Did you notice that? It's repeated twice. Jesus, I want you to come and heal my son. And what Jesus says is, go, your son will live. Does he answer the man's request? Maybe. Maybe the man isn't even really asking for the right thing. Does the man get what it is he desires? Yeah. Does he get it in the way he thought he would? No. And in fact, it says the man believed him. Uh, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And the very next verse, verse 51, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Now let's stop there for a second and pretend that's that's where the story ends. Let's pretend that is the last word of this story and it goes on to something else. Jesus says, your son is going to live. And he goes home and his servants say, hey, your son is recovering. We would be left with this kind of what happened question. We would be left wondering a little bit, well, hang on. Was this Jesus performing a miracle? Was this Jesus doing some showy supernatural intervention to heal this boy? Or was it this boy was going to get better? His fever was going to break. And Jesus, because he knows everything, had divine foreknowledge. Is it supernatural intervention or is it just divine foreknowledge and Jesus comforting him? I suppose my question when I think about that is, does it make a difference? Does it matter? If the outcome is the same, do we mind if this was truly miraculous or a little bit more ordinary and mundane? Can God heal people miraculously? Yes, full stop, absolutely. Yes, he can. Hear me say this, not for the last time this morning. God can do whatever he likes. I believe in miracles. 
I believe that he has performed supernatural wonders. I believe that he has done signs and wonders. I absolutely believe that. Can Jesus heal people miraculously? Yes, absolutely. Can God also create man in his own image and endow him with creativity and endow him with intellect and endow him with a mind with which to worship God and have that man create medicine and vaccines and other interventions that help to prevent and heal and stymie and mitigate disease. Yes, he can. And I suppose the tension that I feel sometimes is, why is it we, we get so excited about one and sometimes we hardly notice the other? When God heals someone, because they have taken medicine or they've gone to the doctor or they've done a regimen that's slow and steady and all of the doctors said, yes, absolutely, she'll be fine, he'll recover, they'll be all right, whatever it is, does that diminish God's sovereignty? Does that take away from his omnipotence and his, and his righteousness? No, it absolutely doesn't. God is every bit as in control when he orchestrates those circumstances. And we ought not to be disappointed when he works things out in that way. It does not diminish God's omnipotence. And, and sometimes I really struggle with, like when people talk about things that happen that just absolutely confounds doctors, you know, oh, it happened in this way and none of the doctors have an answer and they're all just clueless. And, I, and God can do, again, God can do whatever he wants, okay? Let's all get that in our heads. Can God heal miraculously? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But sometimes I want to ask those people, what, what if he hadn't? What if the doctors kind of knew all along what was going on? What if the doctor said, this is what we think is going to happen, and then that thing happens? Was God not working in that situation? Was God not orchestrating the circumstances? Let me put it another way. If someone were seeking a job, and they said, God, we are trusting in you to lead us wherever you would have us go. And we are not going to send out any resumes. We are not going to fill out any applications. In fact, we are just today going to kneel in our living room floor and we're going to pray, God, that you would send us a job offer. And then the phone rings and it's someone that says, I know this is out of, a out of the blue, but I'm a recruiter and uh, we want to offer you this salary and it's perfect and everything you wanted and needed, but you never made that request known to anybody else. And God has clearly intervened in this miraculous way. Yes, amen, awesome, right? But what if... We also, in seeking to find a job, we're praying, we're asking God to make his will known to us. We were saying, God, this is what we need. Would you lead us? And we also 
circulated resumes. We also went and did interviews, and some of them didn't work out. We also thought this would work, but then, you know what, that's not quite right for our family. We also negotiated a salary. We also were qualified for a position. In this latter scenario, would we think to ourselves, yeah, I earned that. That's because I worked hard. Maybe. And maybe that's why sometimes God has to intervene miraculously. Because sometimes we're so kind of prideful and self-centered that we fail to realize all the work that he is doing. And I would argue that mature faith is going through this latter scenario, still being led by faith and trusting in God, but when God provides, instead of saying, look at what I deserve, look at what I earn, look at what I have achieved, we can say, to God be the glory. He is gracious and compassionate, and apart from him, I would be a homeless wretch. Because God is working, regardless. And believing in miracles is good, but believing in God's word is better. But even then, and I like, because it doesn't end in verse 51, it keeps going. And this is one of those moments where, uh, do you ever read scripture and think, oh, that's so what I would do? Um, usually it's whenever Peter shows up that I'm like, Phew, that's me. Okay, but, but here, the guy comes back and the servants say, your son is recovering. The fever broke. He's doing better. And then the guy almost like, yes, okay, great. You know, just out of curiosity, I mean, just, just like because for my diary and stuff. What time was that? And he tells him, well, it's this exact hour. And, and he knows that's the exact same hour that Jesus said. And yet... What is it that he believes? Look at it in verse, I think it's 53, where it says, he believed what Jesus said. Knew that this was the hour what Jesus had said to him. And he believes in Jesus. And again, here's this kind of, there's layers of belief. Because he already believed in verse 50. It said, he believed him. He didn't keep pestering Jesus. No, I really want you to come. I don't trust you. He believed him. He turned around and he went back even though Jesus did not do what it was he had specifically asked for. He believed him. And yet here, after learning what had happened, he believed. So sometimes there's layers of belief. And I, I think about even other people within the Gospel of John. I think of Nathaniel and Thomas. And Nathaniel, in the very first chapter, Jesus comes to him and he says, yeah, I saw you under the fig tree. And that's all it takes for him. He understands Jesus has some kind of supernatural knowledge. And he says, okay, I believe. In the same way that the Samaritan woman, all it took was Jesus saying, I know what's going on. And Nathaniel believes. And Jesus' response is this. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Oh, buddy, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> but that's okay. He's not rebuking Nathaniel. In fact, I think he's kind of complimenting him. He's kind of saying, 
I think it's great that you believed. And guess what? You're going to see even more that's going to confirm your belief. Compare that with Thomas at the very end, after the resurrection, way at the end of the book of John, where he says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed because Jesus said he would. And this is the gospel. And that is the heart of receiving Jesus is believing in his word because believing in miracles is good, but believing in God's word is better. And so we come to a so what for us here and now. And I have to be honest with you. I acknowledge that this is not abstract. This is not some fanciful hypothetical, you know, what if people were sick and dying, people were hurting, people were experiencing pain and the loss of loved ones. This is very real for us here now in this church. This is a real this is a real issue, and the faith and the kind of faith that we are invited to have, the kind of belief that Jesus is calling us to, even in the midst of our hurt and pain and frustration and confusion. And I will repeat again this caveat. God can do whatever he wants, okay? Can I get an amen from that? Like, God... Yes, he gets to do whatever he wants. If he wanted to open up the building and strike me with light, he gets to do that. God can and frequently does whatever he wants in any kind of miraculous, you know, amazing, astounding, prophetically achieved way. He can do that. But he also invites us to trust the things that he says He also invites us to say, I believe in God's word. I believe what he said is true. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And I think in this idea of believing in miracles being good, but believing in God's word is better. My invitation would be to broaden our perspective on what faith and belief and signs and wonders and miracles all are. And I believe that in the same way the people at the wedding and the people in uh, Jerusalem that saw Jesus and uh, for the Samaritan woman and for Nathaniel and for Thomas, that miracles and signs and wonders and prophecies fulfilled, they are not meant as a tool for us to manipulate God or others. They're meant to be a confirmation of God's will. They are meant to be a confirmation of what God said is true. They are meant to let us know, yes, you can trust in what God has said and revealed. And even when we see the apostles in the early days of the church performing miracles and signs and wonders, this is the purpose. They will do this thing and then say, guys, this is just to show what God taught us, and then they have a big sermon. They repeat the gospel. They say the things that Jesus said. They quote scripture from the Old Testament because signs and wonders are meant to confirm what it is that God has spoken to us in his word and in the person of Jesus. 
And even then, they are fulfilling the Great Commission. Go and perform miracles? No. Go and make disciples by teaching them all that I have commanded you. That is the heart of their ministry. And miracles happen to be a a sign, a seal, a way for those who don't quite have enough faith to convince them. And I believe that we are not meant to place our demands and expectations on God, but rather to believe in him. And I, I think there is a, there's a subtle difference there. Because what then is prayer? Prayer is, in essence, us talking to God and making our requests and petitions known to God. We're told this. We are meant to ask God for things. But that is different than saying, God, do this so that I'll believe. God, unless I see this happen, I won't know it's from you. I don't think we're meant to use miracles and signs and wonders in that way. Prayer is meant to conform my will to God's, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Prayer is meant to conform my will to God's, not the other way around. I don't believe that if enough of us pray and do it fervently enough and do it loudly enough or do it when we are crying or on our knees or anything like that, that that will change God's mind. I don't think that's how God works. I don't believe that God is saying, well, shucks, I was going to do this, but you guys make some good points. All right, you convinced me. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation for us to see the world as God sees the world. Prayer is an invitation for us to enter into God's perspective. For him to say, you're going to see great things when you see the world through my eyes. Come and see. And I think making our desires and our petitions known to God is different than placing demands or expectations on him. Even think of the way that Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. First off, before anything else, we're saying, God, I want your plan, not my plan. I want it to be the way it happens when you're in charge, not me, because goodness knows we'd be up a creek if I were calling the shots. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. When we make our petitions known, we absolutely cry out to God. Tell him how you're feeling. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you would like to see in the world. But trust that he is going to give you exactly what it is that you need today. And if you don't understand that, and if that's confusing, and if that's so not what you thought was coming, that's okay. That's why we have to believe and trust that God knows what he is doing. And be okay with an unexpected response in the same way that the official asked for Jesus to come, but Jesus said, go. And he did. And I want to, very quickly, because I promised Sophie I was not going to go over it again. Um, I want to say, as we look at what it is that God says and how do we believe in God's word, it's important to know what his word is. 
It is important to saturate ourselves with scripture to understand what it was that Jesus taught. And there is a hymn that I is one of my favorites. I love this hymn. I have sung it to all of my boys before bedtime. And it's a very old hymn. And I think in a, um, an assembly like ours, where we are a, a lot more kind of modern and play a lot of modern songs, this might be uncomfortable. This is a very familiar hymn to me. It might not be familiar to you, but I want to read it. This is over 230 years old. It was initially called Scripture Promises, but it's come to be known more famously by the first line, which has inspired many other songs, including one that we sung this morning. And it goes like this. It's just a promise. It's just repeating, here's what God says in his word that we can take to the bank. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And this final one, I want you to hear this because this is God's promise to us from Scripture. The soul that on Jesus still leans for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. This is God's sweet promise to us. And believing in miracles is good, but believing in God's word is better. God, I pray that you would illuminate your word to us, that we might believe, that we might have faith, that we would trust in you, that you would not be some genie or some hired magician for us to perform miracles at our request, but rather, God, we would come and see what it is you are doing in this world whether it is miraculous or mundane, where it is, whether it is amazing and confounding or sort of normal and expected. May whatever it come and however we interact with you, may it induce in us faith and trust in your word because you have promised you will never forsake us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Amen.